Alright, well, top of the morning, afternoon, evening, and night, everybody, and welcome back to another Politoco podcast episode. So, I'm not sure if you saw or listened to my last episode, but it was about COVID and China, and I was advised to remove it, um, because I did go over some sensitive topics and politics, and I was just advised to swiftly remove it from all platforms, so I have, so... This is the new fifth episode, and today I wanted to talk about something that I used to be very interested in, which is natural disasters and weather. I used to love learning about it, doing research on it, and eventually I kind of just died out of it because then I got introduced to sports and theater, yada, yada, yada. But I think I kind of want to start doing this. I kind of want to research a lot of different things on, on different types of weather and natural disasters like tornadoes and tsunamis and and all these different natural disasters that occur and just talk about them during an episode of this podcast. And I wanted to start with something that has happened relatively recently, which you have most definitely heard about on the news and everything that's been happening in Turkey and Syria. I want to talk about earthquakes today. Because it's been happening a lot recently throughout the world. So here we go. Alright, so obviously there have been recent earthquakes that have happened in southeast Turkey and northwest Syria. And the first massive earthquake that happened was on the 6th of February of 2023. And when this podcast comes out, that would have been only 22 days ago. And what happened was it was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake. So there were strong tremors, a lot of aftershocks, and the depth of the earthquake was at about 11 miles beneath the surface, which is approximately 17.9 kilometers. It's one of the worst earthquakes that have happened in recent times. It might not be the highest, but it's definitely the most fatal, and it's an immensely devastating number of over 41,000 deaths so far, and this number is only continuing to rise because there's so much rubble that have to that has to be gone through and it's just it's really really depressing and devastating to think about and 2 weeks later on the 20th of February a 6.3 magnitude earthquake struck southern turkey again which has destroyed buildings and messed the rubble up and although it's not even close to to the 7.8 magnitude earthquake that happened two weeks beforehand, it is still devastating and it is still just worsening what's been happening in Turkey and Syria in recent times. So that's what's happened recently, but I want to talk about what are earthquakes. And essentially what earthquakes are, it's two blocks of earth that slip past one another. And there's this seismic energy which is caused by the slip, um, either by a slip or a volcanic or magmatic activity. And that's what creates the earthquake. All this energy being released is what causes the earthquake. So the top two layers of the earth, you've got the crust and you've got the mantle. And the top of the mantle is what we're looking at here. And it's usually tectonic plates, which are the things that move across each other and release this seismic energy and the edges of the plates are rough so they're not smooth they're rough 
pieces of earth, pieces of rock and rubble and plates. <laughs> but essentially, because they are rough, they get stuck. So the edges are stuck together whilst the plates are still moving. And as as the plates move more, there's more energy between those two plates where the edges are because they're being held together, but there's more pressure within them because they want to slip. And once one plate moves far enough, then the edges unstick on a fault, and then that's what releases this energy and obviously what we know as being an earthquake. And the surface where they slip is called the fault of the fault plane. Um, and that's essentially the friction between the jagged edges of the tectonic plates is what is releases all of the stored energy up. And that's what causes the amount of energy which is able to shake the world. <laughs> now, there's two names where you might hear pretty often. You've got the hypocenter and you've got the epicenter. Now, the hypocenter is where the actual earthquake starts. This is where the tectonic plates move over one another and release the energy. And that is where the earthquake starts. And that's the hypocenter. But the epicenter is the location directly above it on the surface. So that's where, obviously, on the surface, where it's then released, that is the epicenter. So when you hear somewhere on the news where it says the epicenter of it, was, for example, southwestern Turkey, then that's where the energy mainly came, like directly beneath that by how many miles or how many kilometers, that's where the earthquake has started. Now, there are three different types of shocks when it comes to an earthquake. You've got the foreshock, you've got the main shock, and you've got the aftershock. So the foreshock, which, as you can tell by the name, are smaller earthquakes, which happen in the same place as the larger earthquake, so in the hypocenter, um, but they're just smaller earthquakes. So it's difficult to tell that they are actually foreshocks until the main shock occurs. So as the tectonic plates slowly start to shift and slowly start to move away from one another, that will be the foreshock. But then once it creates the massive slip and allows all of this seismic energy to then be released, that is what we know and call as the main shock, which is the largest, the main earthquake where all of the energy comes from. And then the aftershock are similar small earthquakes that happen after in the same place as the earthquake, so in the hypocenter, but it's just smaller earthquakes afterwards, I think, as it continues to slip past creating the energy um, but not even close to being the same as the main shock so how are they measured how do scientists know how big an earthquake is other than just feeling that it's either a tiny one or a massive one that breaks the surface of the earth um, well there are things called seismographs and they create seismograms and essentially what it is it's a piece of equipment that measures how bad and how strong an earthquake is. So the base of this piece of equipment is in the is, is set in earth, and it's got a heavy weight that hangs free above it. So the hanging weight doesn't move, but the base moves. So as the base moves, the hanging weight won't move, 
and it will then create this graph which will then show how strong the earthquake is so the difference in positions between the shaking part of the line and the motionless part is what's recorded so because of the different magnitudes of earthquakes there's different lengths in lines when they're looking at seismograms so if it's a short wiggly line that doesn't wiggle then it's just a small earthquake it's nothing major if it's a long wiggly line that wiggles a lot then that's obviously a very large earthquake which can have devastating effects so the length of the wiggle just depends on the size of a fault whereas the size of the wiggle depends on the amount of slip that occurs. So if there's more slip that happens, then obviously there's more friction and that's more energy being released into the earth, the world that creates the earthquake. And that will then cause there to be a much larger wiggle um, that will be visual on a seismograph. The question is, how do you actually measure the size of an earthquake? The size of an earthquake is known as a magnitude. And there's a specific scale that scientists use and we use as well to know how strong and how um, devastating an earthquake is. It's called the Richter scale. And it was made by Charles F. Richter and Benno Gutenberg. And what it does is that it ranks earthquakes from a scale of 0 to 10. 10 being the most devastating of devastating and zero being you can't feel it so if on the richter scale with these seismographs that are produced if the number is a one to a 2.9 then it's not really felt that's a very small earthquake that isn't really felt by everyday people and there's more than a hundred thousand of them a year However, when you go above 2.9, so when it's 3 and above, so let's say 3 to 7, about 3 to 7, 3 to 6.9, that is what's felt by people. And that can go from absolutely no damage, which is a 3, obviously, to a moderate amount of damage in populated areas, which is a 6.9 and a 7. Now, obviously, the earthquake that happened two weeks after the main 7.8 magnitude one, which was a 6.4, I believe, that might have been very strongly felt, but it might not have been strong enough to damage buildings to the extent that a 7.8 was able to. Now, talking about how, how often these occur, if it's around a 3 to a 5, it's around 70,000 earthquakes that happen a year. And this is what's felt by people, but it's not usually damaging. But when you go above 5, so let's say 5.1 to about a 7 or a 6.9, that's what's, that is what's felt. And it can cause a decent amount of damage. And there's approximate, there's a few hundred, I would say, a year, maybe 100 to 200 a year. And that can be that could bring moderate amount of damage to populated areas with high rises and not strong structural integrity of buildings. And then when you go to a 7.0 and above, this is where some serious to severe damage occurs. And if it's um, an earthquake with a magnitude of 7 to 8, then that only happens about 3 to 20 times a year. 
and then they are re- they are very rare and they do not happen often at all but if it's an eight or higher there's fewer than three of them a year sometimes there's not even one that happens in a year because it's so devastating and it's so rare for it to happen so i wanted to name and talk about a famous fault line that you probably know known as the san andreas fault line it is a very very large fault line it is 800 miles long from salton sea to cape medocino in america and what this san andreas fault line does is that it splits the state into two you've got san diego and la which are on the pacific plate whereas you've got san francisco and sacramento on a north american plate and these two plates crisscross each other and they have dozens of active and passive earthquake faults all the way along it and this can create very mild earthquakes to very very devastating devastating earthquakes and there have been a few simulations that have been done by people that have simulated what a major earthquake will do to these very highly populated areas and it says that there'll be around approximately 289 billion dollars in reconstruction value after a major earthquake on one of these fault lines that is an insane amount of money because of just where it is located on this earth which is just mind-blowing to me and you might have not you might have seen it you might not have seen it there's a very very famous movie called san andreas which has dwayne the rock johnson in it and that basically just goes through what would happen if an if one of these earthquakes did occur a massive earthquake i can't remember what it is from the movie but i think it's something like a 9.5 or a 9.6 or something which is crazy and what happens after that and then uh, it's a great movie if you haven't watched it you should definitely go and watch it san andreas i really enjoy the movie but it's also very extravagant and it just it kind of makes it look feel a lot worse but that's what an earthquake can do if you do watch the film that is what an earthquake can do and it is a scary scary thought but what can you do to prepare for an earthquake if you're standing there in your house and all of a sudden you feel the floor beneath your feet start to shake what can you do to help yourself well there's two main things that you can do you can identify a safe place in each of the room where you live and that's usually from what i've heard it's usually a door frame because that's the sturdiest part but just identifying a safe place in each room where you live and also the three rules drop cover and hold on because if it's a bad earthquake then things will go flying around if it's not then good job you've still covered and you're still holding on and that can really help you and there's a few other steps and there's a few other things that you can do um i've heard of these special earthquake packs that you can get kind of like med packs but an earthquake survival kit that's what it is an earthquake survival kit i've heard about them they are pretty cool they are good to have if you are near an earthquake fault line 
or where you have frequent earthquakes those are good to have and also to make sure that there is some sort of food in each room just tins or something in case something does happen and you get locked in or barricaded in your room and you can't get out we will have food there to survive but anyways that is kind of what i just wanted to talk about in this episode i wanted to talk about earthquakes and i think i will do this again sometime in the future is talk about just different types of natural disasters some things that have happened in the past and just kind of educate because i used to love them i used to love learning about them i still do i still find them very interesting especially when i hear something on the news that pops up um i'm interested in it and i want to read more about it so i will do that in the future i will make more podcast episodes on different types of natural disasters but thank you very much for listening I hope you've enjoyed, and I will see you all in the next one. See you later, guys.